I want to let you know that that song was uh, written by church member and choir member Carol Gibson and arranged by Joe Weehunt. Today we begin a new series called What God Wants for Me. So who's this series apply to? Point. You. <laughs> so we'll focus on God's desire for each of our lives as we examine essentials of spiritual life. I don't think I have to alert you to the fact that cultural Christianity is being stripped out of our country. So when it's stripped out of the surrounding environment, what will you have left? Are you prepared to know how to live, how to share the good news, how to grow spiritually if all the societal props that are quickly disappearing completely evaporate? Depending on how this election turns out, it the speed at which faith is stripped out of our culture may be accelerated. So the point here is you have to be sure you know what God wants for you. God's will for us individually also serves as the mission for our church collectively. Our, our challenge is to help teach you how to live in a world that's hostile to your faith. We don't have to fear. Whatever happens culturally, we don't fear because Christ in us is, is greater than the spirit that's in the world. But you must be prepared. There's a verse on your outline that states God's purpose For each of us. It's on the message guide. But it's on the outline part. This is from the New International Version. John 10.10. I have come. Jesus is speaking. That they may have life. And have it to the full. That doesn't make much sense. Does it? I mean if you read it. I want you all to read the Bible with a question mark. And it's okay to say, what does that mean? Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. Don't all of you in this room have life? You might say, well, my husband hardly shows evidence of it at times. (laughs) But everyone seated in this room has physical life. So it can't refer to that you were born physically. He's talking about an aspect of of life that's beyond merely being able to breathe and your heart beating, your brain functioning to some degree. Because we possess physical life. So he's referring either to the fact that you've been physically born again, but you really haven't experienced the life that was intended Or you're just lacking in the spiritual and eternity, internal quality, which makes life, as the New Living Translation says, rich and satisfying. The Greek word full, perissos, means superabundant in quantity and superior in quality. Does that describe your life? Another way of saying it is, is, is your life exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond measure? People around you. God created us to experience abundant life. Are you experiencing that? Abundant life. Or are you just barely getting by? The wonderful lives that we were intended to have were forfeited 
by Adam's sin. Which separated him but also us from God. But God's intent is to return to us the abundant lives he created us for. So God's purpose just stated simply. Is for me to pursue a relationship with Jesus. Now that's a loaded phrase isn't it? So I'm going to, going to unpack it in this message. I'm going to use Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10 as the primary passage. And then I'll have some cross references. Some you'll turn to and some will be on the screen. But you can put your little ribbon right there. Now I want you all to bring your Bibles now. If you don't have one, buy one. And if you're too broke, let David Hardy buy it for you. Because here's the point. There's not much value in you coming just to hear what Perry has to say. This is truth by which you live that needs to be in your soul to guide your life. First, God's purpose responds to my need. Ephesians 2.1 Once you were dead because of your disobedience of, of God's commandments and your many sins, which are offenses against God in thought, word, and deed. Our problem, our greatest need, is, is not that we have some susceptibility to sin when tempted. It's that we are spiritually dead. No spiritual life. So we're unable to please God, but we're also unwilling to do so. Romans 8, 7 and 8. I throw out these verses just for those of you that are studying behind me. Does anybody use them? Put your hand up if somebody's used I'll keep doing it, but if you're not using them, you have to just jot them down. They're not written out anywhere. It's just for you to, to study further. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. Move to the left. I don't mean your seat. I mean your Bible. Verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. This means that we, that we sinned in the sense that Adam was our representative. So we were born with a fallen sin nature. But we also sin individually because of that same fallen spiritually dead nature. You can continue to read Romans 5, 14 through 19 on that point. And this spiritual death disconnected us from God and destroyed our ability to relate to him. Not a minor thing. Not a little setback. Now, humans are born physically alive. They're conceived spiritually alive. But spiritually dead. We have not only a sin nature, but we also have a desire to practice sin. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are, instead of being God-centered and God-directed, we're self-centered and Satan-directed. There's no middle ground. Back to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. You used to live in sin. And he's writing to Christians in the church in Ephesus, remember. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. The commander of the power of the air is another translation, more literal translation. He is the spirit 
at work in the hearts of those who refused to obey God. Satan controls and dominates anyone who is not a child of God. But they're usually not aware of it. In fact, if you pointed it out, they would resent it pretty, pretty fiercely. But see, there's no middle ground. Doesn't mean that you're doing the most terrible things conceivable. But it's either you're following the will of God or the will of Satan. If you're living in disobedience to God, you're following the will of Satan. Is that what it says? Ephesians 2 verse 3. All of us used to live that way. Here's how we follow the will of Satan. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger. Just like everyone else. Don't miss this. And and our nation... The inclinations of sinful nature are being endorsed as rights. But our ability to resist what is not biblical is being opposed. Am I overstating that? We must be aware. Don't be caught asleep. In our fallen state, Psalms 51.5, we're unable to resist the desires and inclinations of the sinful nature. So we're, we're headed for condemnation and destruction. I wish I could say it more nicely than this. I just don't see it put forth biblically in a real sweet way. But since we're spiritually dead from birth, we're also spiritually helpless and spiritually hopeless. I mean, what have you ever seen a corpse do productive? I don't mean to just be witty. I'm saying that's spiritually, we are unable. We are disabled spiritually, not Less than a corpse. You can't go to a funeral and say, why don't you get out of that box and go back to work? There's no ability. Right? Why don't you show more love to your, your family? Get out of that box, show more love to your family. There's no ability. You say, well, that's ridiculous. It's also ridiculous to sell some, tell someone spiritually dead that they should follow God. Only God can cause a spiritual change to occur. 1 Corinthians 15, jump over there. Acts, Romans, Corinthians. 15, 22. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam... Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Now, this, that's puzzling, isn't it? I just thought everyone died because we're human. I mean, isn't that right? It's not right. That is secular thought. It's worldly thought that death is a natural part of life. It's not a natural part. It's an abnormal, unnatural part of life. Biblically, death is not natural. Biblically, death was a judgment of God placed on humanity, really on all of creation, because of the fall. Genesis 3. But I want you to see this. God condemned humanity to death, which was spiritual death, but also physical death 
at, at what, whichever time you died physically, at whatever age. But I want you to understand this. There was, there was mercy and grace even in the pronouncement of death by God. You know how? Even those of us who are born again, we're being redeemed gradually. But you still feel the effects of sin, right? It shows itself as fear, anger, doubt. So God declared that we would die so that we could escape the, the fallen flesh that will only get partially redeemed in life so that we could receive a spiritual body, a spiritual nature, no fallenness. You know that fear that you feel? You know that, that I'm no good, I, I'm a loser, the things you hear? Now, transformation prayer helps. If you're born again, it helps you hear from God on those areas so that it's like your, your mind and, and flesh can be redeemed more. But it won't, it won't happen completely. And so when, when God declared Adam and Eve, that, that cursed them with death, he also put angels outside of the garden to keep them from coming back in. Because there was a tree of life that granted life unending. If Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of unending life then they would have not died and remained in a fallen state. You see that? So there really was mercy in saying your life will end. Colossians 2.13 on 9.50. You were dead because of your sins. And because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. Also Romans 6.23. So when we're made alive with Christ, our sins are forgiven and we die to the, to the power and control of sin and Satan. Sin still entices us. But we're empowered to live a new life in Christ. We don't have to give in to those things that tempt us. So the question is, have you experienced what I'm describing? What the Bible's describing? Spiritual life. Have you been born again? Sometimes I hear people say, well, I just believe in Jesus, but I don't really buy that born again. Born again is biblical. There's not, a, there's not a way to enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Have you been born again? God's purpose also relies on Jesus. Back to Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy... And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. But then look, what do you see next in your Bibles, in your translation? A parenthesis, right? Because he knows what he's implying. It's only by God's grace you've been saved. Because he just said you're dead. So in other words, you can't do anything about it. It's by God's grace. Somebody give me a short definition of grace. Unmerited favor is a very good definition. But it's this. It's benefiting in a way you don't deserve. That's what grace means. But in verse 4, I think, is the greatest phrase in the whole Bible. But God. But God. 
You were dead. You were a corpse spiritually. You had no way to be saved. You had no interest in being saved. But God. Whatever your situation is right now. You're suffering physically. You're suffering emotionally. You're struggling spiritually. You're belabored financially, educationally. You're fearful. You're depressed. Put whatever the issue is. And I want you to understand this. But God. You're not destined to fulfill their trajectory your own. Because God gives you new life in Jesus Christ. Because of his mercy, motivated by his love for you. We're headed for condemnation and eternal separation because of our sins. That's that's the, the playing out of our lives. That's the trajectory we're on. But God can interrupt the trajectory you're on. But you see, we had to be made spiritually alive so we could believe. Does that make sense? Y'all getting that? Is that confusing? You got this right, Chris, over there. You can't believe unless you've been born from above. Because you don't even know you need to be born above and you don't have any interest in it. Does that make sense? Salvation's by grace because it resulted from God's loving, merciful action. But it's still something in him, not something in you. God given us spiritual life, which another term that's synonymous is regenerating us. And here's a, here's a phrase I read while I was studying. I love, I love this. Restarting us. You stopped in Adam. And God reinvigorated. But the only way he could was because of the life and death of Jesus. Acts 4.12. Don't turn there. Just look up behind me. There is salvation in no one else. God has given us no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not good works, not better behavior. It is only Jesus' name, and the word name biblically actually means the totality of a person or a being, the totality of the person. The personality, the character, the nature, the words, and the works. And it's only the name of Jesus that can save a person's soul. Jesus is the exclusive way of salvation. 1 John 4. You might not need to turn that because we studied 1 John, so you probably memorized it. 1 John 4, verse 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God. Because we didn't love God. But he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Remember I gave you a few weeks another word. That, that could be replaced for sacrifice. Propitiation. Remember what that means? That you received God's wrath. You say well that. I don't like that kind of God. I like sort of a sweet God. Maybe a wizened old man. Sitting in a rocking chair. Who just sort of. Goes, oh, go on. You know, don't, I'm not worried about that. It's not who God is. See, our, our understanding of salvation begins 
with the identity of God. That's why there's not lots of ways to be saved. Because there's no other way to satisfy a holy God. You say, well, but good works. And their religions, all the world's religions are, are betting on working hard enough to satisfy. Well, how? How do you remove the wrongs that you already committed against that God? And if he's perfectly holy, how does he have a standard that lets some in? And where does he draw the line? Because of his holy character, God could not merely show mercy. Do you understand that? If he, if he just showed mercy and just said, oh, don't worry about that. He compromises his own character. You say, well, I don't understand that. Well, let me give you a, a modern day example. Someone commits a, a, a terrible crime. Brutalizes another person. And the judge goes, well, you know, I think you'll do better next time. We want to remove that judge because what we expect of a judge on a bench is justice. You pay the price for your actions or sins. You're punished appropriately. Well, how could we have a higher standard for a judge downtown than we do God, the creator and ruler of the universe? He must be holy. He must be just. And so the punishment that my sins deserve and yours as well had to be dispensed. Now that's why Jesus was sent. To receive the personal, individual, practical, specific sins due to me. But also to you. And also anybody else that would ever believe. He became sin, Scripture says. And then he was beaten as he, when he hung on the cross. In fact, the father turned his back on the son because the son became sin. But that's the only way that God could be just and the justifier. It's the only way God could be holy and merciful. Does that make sense? Jesus' resurrection was proof that God the Father accepted his son's sacrifice for our sins. So that we could then be released from punishment for those sins. But here's the question. Have you benefited from his death? The only way that you benefit from his death is by trusting in the life and death of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what faith is. It's not much about you. I'm going to deal with faith next week. It's not really about you. Other than your dependence. God's purpose. Results in relationship. Back to Ephesians 2. Verse 6. For he raised us from the dead. Along with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, what power was that? What power raised Jesus from the dead? Come on now. Specifically, the Holy Spirit empowered the dead corpse of Christ. The same Holy Spirit enlivens you. Doesn't require less for you to be born again than Christ to be restarted. It raised him out of physical death. It raises us out of spiritual death by giving us new birth. Romans 8, 11, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. But here's the thing. We're not regenerated to live independent, self-directed lives. That's kind of American Christianity. It's completely wrong. I prayed this prayer years ago, and now I'm going to live however I want, and I know my salvation's secure. You don't find that scripturally anywhere. 
We're raised to life so that we can live in relationship with Jesus. United with him is what that passage says. And, and this whole bit about seated in the heavenlies, does that make sense to you? You say, well, I'm not seated in the heavenlies. I'm sitting in the plastic chair at Brookwood. But you got to understand who you are. If you've been born again, you're just not a physical body plopped down in a chair. You're a spiritual being that's residing in two places at the same time. You're a resident of God's kingdom, but you're just still residing on earth. Well, how can I be in heaven and I'm here on earth? Because heaven's not a place over there behind a cloud. Heaven's right here. When the scripture says God spoke to someone, Moses or Gideon or someone out of heaven, they didn't go somewhere or get on a spaceship so they could hear God. God is with us. We exist in heaven. The the difference, it's a dimension that's unseen. But if you're born again, you experience it. Sometimes in dramatic ways. But you know what? Some of you today have have experienced the Spirit in worship. Did you? That's heaven. Because it's not earth. Heaven's here. Not some faraway place. So that's how we can be seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And yet sitting in a chair on earth. Because you're a different being now. If you could only see what God sees in you. We're objects of God's mercy. We're evidence of his gracious character and kindness. Ephesians 2, 7. So God can point to us in all future ages. As examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united, who are in relationship with Jesus. But it's, it's more than relationship. It's like fused together. You say he's in you and you're in him. But this is what this is saying. That God will say, I guess he's saying it to the angelic host or whoever's gathered in that realm. And he'll say, hey, have you noticed Larry? You remember what Larry used to be? You see what he is now? You want that to be said about you? Do you? No, I'm looking right at you. There might be other Larrys, but I'm only looking at one. This is so God can point to us in an unending future. And say, you see that? Hey, you seen Chris Hack? You know what he used to be? Look what he is now. Look how his life ended. You want God to say that about you? Well, you got to live a life that gives God something to say. That brings him glory. That's what I read in this passage. Christ lives in us after we're born again through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that's also referred as not only the Spirit of God, but also the Spirit of Christ. And it's the Spirit within. Remember that seed I said that was planted within. But it it grows as we deepen our relationship with Jesus. As we're conformed to look more like Him. John 17, 3. Just look up here. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you the only true God. And Jesus Christ the one you sent to earth. Know is a Greek word gnosko. And, and it's, it's not cognitive information. It has an aspect of, that's information and factual. But this word is much, much broader. It actually is experiential. It's relational and intimate. It's not mere information. 
Knowing God doesn't mean accepting facts about God or Jesus or even the gospel. I'm afraid our, our culture may be well-meaning, but has boiled the gospel down to the point that it's not even the gospel anymore. You know, we, we say, well, I prayed this prayer. Well, I, I accept that there's one God. Remember, James says, well, the demons believe that, and they shudder, and you, you're complacent. So if you believe the facts, you have the faith of a demon. This knowledge is talking about living in a relationship of love with him. It's through interacting, through reading his word, through talking and listening to him. You've been made alive so you can have a relationship. See, that's what marriage is. And the scripture uses marriage as an example of Christ and a believer. But unfortunately, again, in our corrupt culture... Um, that's so physically, see, our culture preys on the physical, doesn't it? And the physical's dead. And yet we've, we've, we've boiled down the greatest things in this culture are physical, sex and alcohol and all, that kind of stuff. And nothing could be farther from the truth. But we've so distorted marriage that we no longer understand that when we become married, it's a, we enter a relationship of love through which we experience intimacy. Now, physical intimacy is one aspect. But if that's all you have, it's not going to take you anywhere. In fact, physical intimacy has little significance apart from emotional and spiritual intimacy. Eternal life refers to a quality of life, not just a quantity of life. It's much more than living forever. It's enjoying an intimate relationship of love and trust with God, both now and forever. And eternal life is not something that occurred in the past when you prayed a certain prayer or accepted certain facts. Eternal life is an invitation to be introduced to God and to know Him in an ever deeper way. It's knowing God through relationship with Jesus Christ every day. Remember Jimmy Hill last week in the video? Here's this guy, 70 years old, retired dentist. Suddenly, something's happened to him. He goes and reads the Bible half the night. Whereas he said in church, he told me this morning, he sat here 15 years. I remember he sat up in the risers. And he was a, always a good man and wanted to be here and liked the information that I taught. And, but something happened to him. And suddenly, he had this appetite driven to have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's salvation. Well, that's a mature, mature faith. No, no. That's minimal faith. What we have called a mature Christian is probably just a Christian in our culture. But I'm afraid a lot of what we call a Christian is really an un, an, a person who's not been born again, but has some religion and knows some information. See the difference? You know what? When you're born again, everybody around you knows it. You are different. But if we want our lives to be conformed to Christ, to, to look and act like Him more and more in an ever-increasing way, we must stay connected to Him. Matthew 15.5, again, look up here, just for time. And, and I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce what? How much fruit are you producing? Apart from me, you can't do anything. Because see, the, the spiritual life flows from Christ. And yet, we are so insecure to speak the truth in this culture that we see someone who made some decision when they were eight years old has lived an indifferent life toward Christ. And we would never say, 
Do you know the Son? Have you been born again? Let me tell you, folks, if this culture, if the Son on this culture continues to descend, you must be born again. And you have to know the gospel. You know, I don't know what you feel. You may, you may be great with, with more and more Muslims coming in. You may be resentful of that. But the point is, Christ is in control. But our responsibility to those people is to share the good news. Who have you shared the good news to in the last month? Now, I think it's unusual that there's, from Syria, there's about 2,000 Muslims and 53 of them are Christian. Whereas there are many Christians in Syria, but they're not being brought in. So they're under persecution. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we look like him. You know what I'm talking about? You know people who've been married a long time and they look like each other? I mean, I know some people, they, they just love their pet. They sort of look like their dogs. <laughs> but the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we look like him. We're not what we used to be. Our character changes. Our works are produced. Don't raise your hand. But some of you in this room may have been racist. And racism goes more than one direction. But you know what? If you're spending time with Jesus Christ and you've been born again, mistreating someone because of the amount of, of melanin in their skin doesn't make any sense at all. How would you treat someone made in the image of God, handcrafted by God, how would you mistreat that person? That doesn't make any sense even. But what in you used to be a habit you carried out? Some anger, some addiction, some ugliness that now because you know Christ and you're in a love relationship, you don't want any part of that anymore. That's what being born again is. Are you engaging in a relationship of love with Jesus? God's purpose also requires my effort. Verse 8 in Ephesians 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. See, I could take credit if I made the right decision. If I, ha I have a brother who's four years older than me. And if I cho choose to believe these facts and my brother doesn't, why can't I take credit for it? Couldn't you? But even your belief is a gift. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast. We're saved by God's grace. It's something he does. Not something we do. It's not something we can accomplish by, for ourselves. Belief or faith. The Greek word is pistis. And like I said, I'll deal with faith next week. Belief, no less than, and faith, which is synonymous, no less than grace is a gift from God. Even your belief, the ability to believe, to trust, is a gift from God. And belief is a confident trust and reliance on Jesus Christ, who alone provides salvation. But how could you believe? Now, you could say, well, I believe those facts about Jesus, but I'm not investing anything in it. But how can you stake your eternal life on it? Only if the Spirit of God within you has made you know this is true. That happens to you, not by you. Salvation's a gift. What do you do with gifts? You accept them, but, but I'm going to say this. If you, you know, it's yours. Now, you can give it away, but, but accepting it's not even the condition. But appreciation is. You've been given a gift. Do you appreciate it? Do you wear it? Most of the pretty things I own were given to me by 
one of my three lovely ladies, my two daughters and my wife, do we use our gifts? Do we wear our gifts? Salvation isn't accomplished by us because if you're, if you're the one and your decision making is the difference, then why, do, why don't you get the glory? See what I'm saying? If Forrest decided to believe Christ and I didn't, then why doesn't he deserve some glory and me none? You see what I'm saying? The difference would be him. He's smarter than me. Hmm. That's not what, how salvation happens. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's masterpiece. I want, you to, I want you to feel that. Some of you today don't, if I said, are you a masterpiece? Some of you would say, no, I'm, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I re, I'm full of regrets. I've not accomplished much with my life. I've hurt people that love me. Some of you would say that. You are God's masterpiece. And he made no mistakes. I want you to feel who you are. This second rate stuff. I don't measure up. I'm not valuable. I'm not important. That's from the devil. That's not from the spirit of God. You hear me? You are a masterpiece. I want you all to inhale that. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Salvation's by grace. But becoming the people God created you to be. Fulfilling that potential he built in you. Accomplishing the task he's assigned you requires effort. You say, well, I don't know what task. Well, you're way behind. You need to get moving. If you say, I don't have any task, that doesn't even make any sense to say that. Are you born again? Colossians 3.10, behind me. Put on your new nature. Does that imply you do something? Wear it. Put it on. And be renewed. We're renewed by the Holy Spirit. You can't renew yourself. But the Holy Spirit works as you learn to know your creator and you become like him. It requires some effort. We have a change of identity when we're born again. We go from being children of Satan to children of God. There's no middle ground. From people headed to hell to people headed to heaven. But it requires exertion to bring our behavior in line with our new identity. Being renewed indicates that it's a transformation process. That happens with our cooperation. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 6, verse 12. Last passage I'll turn you to. 907. Don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to its sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body, your mind, your hands, your feet, any part of your body, become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Now we're still tempted by inward desires. We're still enticed by Satan. But you know what? Those desires no longer have control over a person who has been recreated in Jesus Christ. But we need to reconnect with God. We need to resubmit. We need to resurrender ourselves on a daily basis to resist. Verse 13 there in Romans 6. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead and now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. 
What effort are you expending to do right so God's glorified by you? Here's a soul training. How am I pursuing a relationship with Jesus? That's, that's something you are doing. Let me urge you. You know what? If you've just been sort of hanging out, let me urge you. Take responsibility for your spiritual life. Get in a small group. We're going to be working nine weeks on these essentials of spiritual life, what God wants for me. Get in a small group. You can go out there and pick up a list of all the small groups, or you can gather some friends. You see the insert has questions. This discussion guide really is enough for a small group. We also are providing family talk um, questions for parents to work with their children to discuss it. You can get it at children's check-in, students' check-in, and the information desk. All of this is online. There's even more questions at the Brookwood app. I'm asking you, I'm imploring you, take some steps. Take some steps. Be different. I want to call our counselors to the front. And you know, maybe I said something today and it's, this was the first time you ever heard it. None of us were saved the first time we ever heard the good news. Do you know that? Maybe somebody was. But you know what? One day you may be heard it a thousand times. And one day life became new. That's the Spirit of God giving you new life so you can receive and believe. So if you're someone and you say, I don't know if I'm even born again, would someone pray with you, with me? There'll be counselors here. You say, well, I've got a, I've got a tumor or an illness or disease. Would somebody anoint me with oil and pray that God might heal me? That's what we're here for as well. Take some steps in faith. Give God something to brag about you to all the angelic host about. Father, we thank you for your word. Teach us what it means. Not humanly, but spiritually. By your spirit, show us ourselves and enable us to surrender ourselves to your son. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming.